What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kind of Neat. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. If you are a loyal listener, and this is only an if, I'm not asking you to do this if you're just a casual listener. If you are a loyal listener and you appreciate what you, we do for you, uh, I would hope that you will visit patreon.com slash kind of neat that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash kind of neat where you can pledge a monthly amount or actually it's a an amount of money per episode uh we usually do four episodes per month so that's about four bucks per month it's a cup of coffee it's a beer it's a cheap beer at a bar buy me a beer at a bar by pledging one dollar per month or per episode i'm sorry at patreon.com slash kind of neat to keep our show ad free and to help us pay the bills and because you love us and because we love you. All right. I have a bad habit that I've noticed that I want to try to shake and I did not shake it on this episode because I caught myself doing it while I was talking to our guest this week, Saul. And it's that I frequently say the words I feel like too often i catch myself sometimes i only listen back to the podcast like once in a while now uh but whenever i am listening back to the podcast i hear myself say i feel like like damn near every question i say that uh i try to explain why i'm asking the question by saying i feel like uh i think this way and If you notice that and it fucking annoys you, it annoys me too. And I'm sorry. And so I'm going to make a very (laughs) astute effort uh, to stop doing that. I'm trying to grow. I'm out here trying to grow for y'all. You feel me? Trying to make myself a better version of me so that I'm more listenable to you. Do you guys have any podcasts that you listen to that you that the the, the host like secretly annoy the shit out of you? Because I <laughs> I don't know why, but I have like a few podcasts that I listen to them, and yet and still the hosts like annoy the fuck out of me at times. Uh, but I still love them. It's a very weird thing. And sometimes I'll catch them saying things, and I want to yell at them and be like, "You're no, that's wrong. It's the wrong thing you're saying." And I still listen. Uh, yeah. This week, I saw a a movie, and I generally don't ever put you guys on to things at the beginning intros, but I saw this documentary that I'm sure will eventually hit Netflix, and then it won't be a big deal at all, but right now, it's just out in theaters and only select theaters, I think, because I think it's only in Los Angeles at the moment, maybe a few other places, but it was one of... um, for me, one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time, and I watched a ton of documentaries, um, but I really like this one because it involved three things that I really love, which is uh, which are food, writing, and Los Angeles. And it's the, uh, a documentary called City of Gold, and it's about Jonathan Gold, who's kind of like the... Um, He's like the character in Ratatouille, the food critic character that everyone's like, oh, my God, his opinion is going to change what everyone thinks of our restaurant. And um, so, you know, you ha- he has to, like, uh, go to these restaurants and uh, use pseudonyms and, uh, you know, fake names and and uh, reserve, you know, reservations that are by surprise and everything. And so uh, it-, it was just this beautiful documentary about Los Angeles. I mean, it starts off kind of about food and it starts off about Jonathan Gold, but then it really delves more into like why he loves the city and it shines through so much, and even to the point where 
the scenery of Los Angeles. And I guess this is like pretty much I'm speaking to those of you that live in L.A. and listen. I don't know how many of you there are that live in L.A. and listen. I don't know what our demographics are. I don't know anything about the quote unquote you that is listening right now. So if this doesn't apply to you, I'm sorry. But if you live in Los Angeles, uh, you know, like I know that you spend a lot of time seeing the city from the windows of your car. You're in your car all the time here, and that's where you view that. That's how you know what the city looks like. Because when the fuck are you ever walking down the street? You know, I, I watch a lot of. Um, when I see movies or television shows based in Los Angeles, they'll frequently be shot at places that I have a feeling that I know where it is. I'm like, I, th- I, th- I just said it again. I have a feeling. I, I'm just, uh, <laughs> I watch and I go, I think I know where that's at. But it looks so much different than how I usually see it. And it and it takes me a second to realize, like, oh, I've never seen it from that angle because I've never been outside of my car when I drive past that part of the town. And in City of Gold, they shoot L.A. the way you see L.A. And that's not to say that they're always shooting out of a car. There are a lot of shots out, out of cars. But yeah, I don't know. It was just like there, there was one scene um, – where they pass by this restaurant that actually dumbfounded and benched him and and my my little homie Grady Sean, uh, they all put me onto it called Myung Dong Kyoja. I don't, I probably said that wrong, but it's this fucking dumpling place that's amazing in Los Angeles. It's a well, it's a it's actually a kalguksu place. Like so, that's a type of noodle soup, and then they have these amazing pork dumplings, and I love it. It's one of my fucking the pork dumpling at. Myung Dong Kyoja is probably my like my favorite morsel of food in Los Angeles. And at one point they show it, but they don't show the actual restaurant. They show this like little side street sign that's above it. That's not even in English. But as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, my God, that's the fucking restaurant that I love. Like, I just recognize it. And there's so many little moments like that throughout the movie where it's like this love letter to Los Angeles and they shoot it. You can tell that it's shot by people who have lived in Los Angeles for a long fucking time. Cause all these television shows, like I look at a show like love or a show like uh, that just came out called flaked, um, or the entourage series or the entourage movie or whatever. And you can tell it's shot by these, by people that are, that are transplants. I'm a transplant. So I'm not talking shit about transplants, but I have been living here for 10 years. I did have a fucking Honda audition for a commercial the other day. You feel me? So like, I'm a real, I'm really out here. I'm a real Angelino at this point. Um, I, I feel like most of the shows when they're getting shot, they're shot by these people that haven't lived here that long and they're shooting it in a way where they're just concentrating on um, the cinematography, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but when they're, when they're trying to make Los Angeles a character in these shows, they're, they're doing it in a way where I don't recognize it. And so all of a sudden it looks like you're in any neighborhood Los Angeles rather than like, oh, I'm on the corner of Sunset and Alvarado. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So – City of Gold. I can't speak highly enough of it. If you can find it in a in a theater near you, if you have any passing interest in food or writing or Los Angeles in general, go watch it. Um, if I wasn't with a person watching the documentary, the last scene like for sure would have made me cry. Because um, <laughs> and yeah, and, oh, and when I went to see it in the theater, the guy that it's about, Jonathan Gold, he was actually there, and I was like borderline fanning out again. It was so it was like another Fred Durst type of situation. If you guys listened in on the last uh, episode or two ago, um, 
And so, yeah, he was there, but he was surrounded by um, people that were there to see the documentary and, and everybody was taking pictures and wanted to talk to him. So I was like, oh, I'm going to leave him alone. Uh, but yeah, can't speak highly enough of this documentary. Go see that. So yeah, I did have a Honda edition or a, a Honda audition the other day. Like I have a casting agent friend who randomly hit me up because I'm not a commercial person. I'm not a commercial actor. I'm not a fucking actor at all. I don't go to auditions. The closest thing I've ever done to, uh, to something like that is like one time uh, I, I got a voiceover commercial for Pepsi a few years ago. Like... <laughs> I don't know if I, I'm just going to tell the story because I don't give a shit because I don't think I've ever really told it. But my roommate at the time had somebody that was working or had a fiance that was working um, on a campaign for Pepsi um, for some ad agency and they wanted to do a rap. And so she knew that I rapped because I lived with her fiance and she's like, yo, we're trying to write these raps, but it's just not coming out good. Could you write a rap? And so I wrote this really fucking dope rap. And then they're like, yeah, we want it to be two people. So I had verbs come on and, and we like tag teamed the rap together. And they were like, oh my God, we love it. We love it. We love it. But then they couldn't get it sold to the higher ups. And it was like a little too long. And then there were sample issues because of the beat. And they fell in love with the first beat that we recorded it over. And so um, they ended up hiring me to do the voiceover for it. And... Uh, for this commercial they're like look okay we're not going to use the rap but we are going to do this radio ad and and we really like your voice so you can do you can be the announcer on the ad and i'm like all right cool and it turns out that doing voiceover work is like a super primo job it was early but i in, in five hours of work i made i made more money in five hours than i ever made in my life it was fucking amazing and so um my casting agent friend calls me up and she's like oh hey they're looking for um, people, she's like, I read the description of this Honda, uh, commercial and the description of the person they're looking for, you instantly popped into my head. And so, and I'm like, Oh, what does that mean? Bald, bearded, and extremely handsome and charming. And, um, she's like, no, an old photographer. No, I'm just kidding. That, not, that didn't happen, but they were looking for like photographer people like, that are really, that are actually photographers. And so I went in for this audition thinking like, Oh yeah, it'll be this cool thing where I like, It'll be like I saw in movies where, you know, you go in and you talk to people and you charm them and stuff. And like, no, dude, it was so crazy. Like you walk into a room. First off, the guy uh, doing the audition, it was just one person. He's just like videotaping it to show other people, I guess. He was like so jaded about it that as I walked in, I'm trying to introduce myself and he just like cuts me off. He's like, yeah, okay, cool. Just go in that room. And I like try to stick my hand out like, okay, hey, man, cool. Nice to meet you. I'm Lee. And he didn't even shake my hand. Just like, I was like, wow. He just left it hanging. And so I walked into the room and it was like, uh, it was like a freaking cattle call. I just, um, he's like, okay, look at the camera, say your name. Okay. Turn to your side show a profile show the other side hold your hands up to your face and then he was like what made you fall in love with photography and i gave an answer and then like what kind of camera do you shoot and i gave an answer and that was the end and it was like a total of two minutes um and that's the end of my story i don't think i'll ever get a call back but jesus christ like I couldn't imagine being uh, an actor and going into auditions if that's how it is. Cause it was just like the worst job interview of all time. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, just going into a room and having a person judge you so quickly. Uh, and then probably never hearing back. If you were doing that every fucking day, I, I could just imagine going nuts so quick. So shout out to all my actors. You guys must have like, 
really thick skin because I can't take all that rejection. I'm just a sad, just a sad boy on the inside that needs validation. Uh, anyway, this week we talked to Saul and, um, it's an awkward hour. We got in here Friday. It's like late, late at night on Friday. And, you know, generally on a Friday, I'd rather be doing other shit. But this was the only time we could squeeze in and Saul is the homie. And so I wanted to make it work because he's just a good dude, like the guy. And this is the only time we could really make it work. So he's on tour right now in support of his new record called the headspace traveler, which you guys can find at soul says.com. Uh, or you can find it on Spotify, you find it on iTunes, whatever, however you listen to music, you will be able to find the headspace traveler by Saul S O L right now because it is out. And this is his second time on the podcast. So he is one of our rare return guests. And, you know, I'm just trying to like, talk to my friend about about living life as an aging rapper or i'm the aging rapper he's not that old um so you know i just it's it's after a certain point like a lot of the guys that i've talked to who have kind of established themselves it just becomes a job you know what i mean it, it becomes your job and so i tackled that a little bit last week when we were talking to jameson and i just try to delve back into that because that's the new like thing that i'm interested in that's the new fucking theme that i'm trying to explore in life and you guys can listen to that shit uh so without any further ado here is my second conversation on kind of neat with my friend saul Have you done South by before? I have. How many times? Twice. I've never done it. I've never been. Yeah. And so I don't really, at this point, I don't know that I understand the point of going if you're not like super tied in. You know what I mean? Like if it's not like quote unquote your year, like you were just saying, like, I don't really understand why people go out there at this point if you're not playing like the one of the like six or seven big ass shows. You know, it's changing every year. So even since I've been two years ago, I'm sure it's, it's different, but I will say that there is value in it if you're not doing something else at the time. Right. You should be there. It's a good, it's just like the whole, it's a microcosm of the whole industry and just music and like in general. Mm -hmm. So it's like a really dope opportunity to be able to gain perspective Mm -hmm. at the very least gain perspective as to where the industry is at, what the sound is, what people are doing and where you're at. Um, I just hate crowds. Yeah, but if you don't like crowds, and, and like, you know, you, they somehow get all these artists to play these shows for no money. Somehow. Right. It's like, oh, like, I'm usually, you know, I don't perform unless, like, I walk out of the building with something. Right. You know, and then suddenly you're doing five shows a day and, like, and not getting paid somehow. Right, it's all just for, like, oh, yeah, but it's going to be live streamed to so many people. It's just like the the quid pro quo. Yeah, all these different showcases, but it's a good networking thing, you know. Yeah. So like, if it makes sense for you at the time, then yeah, you should go do it. But instead, here I am, you know, playing shows for my fans like all around the country. This is what your second headlining tour. Yeah, my second headlining tour. What's changed this time? Oh man, I learned so much the first time, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've been on the road as a supporting act three times since then with who just gaining perspective i went out with greaves mm-hmm. and you know he's a road warrior yeah like he's experienced it all right so you know to be able to get knowledge from him and just watch him do it every night and see how his team works i, I got a lot of perspective 
And then I went out with Zion I. And I went out with Zion I, Grouch, and Eli. Oh, nice. And those guys are have been doing that shit OG for road two, two decades. You yeah, know? we just had Grouch on the show a couple months ago. Yeah, I watched that. A, he, he, in my was, garden. Yeah, he it killed was it. was like the be- my favorite conversation maybe. Yeah, like top no, five for I me. I love talking with him, man. I was such him a huge fan. Yeah, yeah. And Zumbi, man. Yeah, that's cool. How, Zumbi, how so was, lucky to be able to connect. How was that tour? It was dope. Yeah. Um, as an opening act uh, or supporting act for a tour like that where they have such an established fan base, does it ever feel like an uphill battle trying to win over those fans? Not at all. Really? Those are the type of fans that are so open-minded. Yeah. Like, I think we actually, even though there's a generational gap, there's a huge crossover in, like, the reasons why people appreciate our music. Right. You know, and, um, no, I see, I see, I know you're talking about, like, I opened up for RZA once, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like you got to win over the Wu fans. Like, yeah. good luck, you know? Yeah. I don't care who you are, you know? You could be, you know, the dopest, right. and all they want to hear is Wu-Tang. No, totally. You know, but it's not one of those situations. Well, yeah, you know, I went out with Grease one time, and even even that, where I was like, oh, this sh- our fans will, like, they'll get it. Like, his fans will understand well, me. Had, yeah. And, th- like, a lot of shows, they didn't. Like, and I have, well, a, I have a different, I definitely have a different vibe, and I learned that and figured that out. Right. But it, it like, that was the thing. It was like, sometimes I was like, oh, this is such an uphill battle, okay. trying to win over fans that, like, are waiting to see this specific artist, you know what I mean? 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's one of those things just as an opener act. Yeah, right. right. I, yeah, that's always true. Yeah. But I came up that way. It right. was almost kind of dope to like be in that position again. It's always humbling, of course. Yeah. And it's like, yo, I'm brand new to a lot of people, most people in the world. Right, right. You know, but I, yeah, I could do a big show, you know, in my hometown. I can go out there. I do have fans. I, I can do my own tour. But there's also, I'm not above trying to win people over. Right. Totally. And I had to do that for a decade. Yeah, you know, and I will continue to do that. You know, yeah. so yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, I, and I love that you. And you just got to meet people halfway and then bring them up with you. And right. people come out to a show to have a good time. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's part of the fun. When you were coming up, were you playing shows every week? Man, I played every show I could. Yeah, every same. chance I could touch a mic. Who was the first person you ever opened for? Do you remember? Oh man, I mean, yeah. Well, I started my first show. I was thirteen years old. Oh, that's right. You and it was me. a twenty-one plus venue downtown Seattle. Doesn't exist anymore. I opened up for somebody named Unexpected Arrival, Nima, <laughs> Mr. 10K, yeah. this guy Willie Will, a bunch of cats. Oh, I mean, this is these guys, are, and most of them are not even doing music anymore. You know, yeah. I was 13 years old up there, right? Full camo outfit. That's so funny. <laughs> I remember you telling me that, like, you were damn near like Lil Bow Wow or something. Yeah, right. That's funny. Seattle's Bow Wow. That's funny. <laughs> How's Seattle doing after all of the hullabaloo with uh, with Ben Haggerty? Mm. That's in, oh yeah, it's been a few years now, so it's like it's all settled down. I feel like it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of see um, how that how that has had like a lasting impact on the scene. There's just a whole another generation of artists now. Mm-hmm. Really, what that was was like Mac was the dude from the generation right before me. I'm like I consider myself in this middle generation. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple cats there with me. But, like, there's the cats who came before me, like, Blue Scholars, Macklemore, Common Market, you know, like, Gabriel Teodros, like, all those cats. And then there's... Like, What's, what about Old Dominion? Are they even before that? They're, yeah, they're before okay. that. Yeah. You know, and then there's, like, Grinch... And then, like, I came after that, and now there's I got all these little homies. Yeah. And they're the ones that came up. Like, they started rapping after Mac was already popping low-key. Oh, really? At least popping in Seattle, because that was a while ago yeah. at this point, you know, four, who, who, four years who ago. Who are the ones that are on that are in your age group? Is it, like, Sam? 
Yeah, Sam's like a year year younger than me. Okay. Grinch is a little bit older than me. Yeah. You know. Those are like the peer, that's the peer base though? Yeah, to me it's not as much. So I don't even consider age as much. It's just right. like experience. Right, totally. So like by that regard, like, you know, I've been in it for a minute. Right. Starting at 13 years old. Yeah. But yeah, there's a bunch of cats now that are killing it. And everybody's got their own sound. Everybody's got their own click. And not in a bad way, but like people have their teams. Like everybody has a team. Right. And before there were no like... It was just like, yo, there's only a hundred of us, so we're we're gonna come out and we're gonna support each other and like we'll play the chop suey and like the whole scene will be there. And now there's like so many facets to the scene. It's like a, it's an ecosystem, right? And so it's growing, and it's tight. Does do you ever uh, long for the days where it just felt like one scene? It's not as close now. Right. It's just bigger now. Yeah. Everybody's like adults. Yeah. Everybody start once once people tur- start turning into adults, it's like hard to have that uh, excitement that the kids scene has. You know what I mean? Or, or like the people that you come up with, you start to talk to them less. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that excitement's still there, even more so Seattle. Really? For sure. Nice. Yeah. But it's just like, like it's, a, it's a new generation. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, cats cats get families and shit. Yeah. Know? And if they're lucky, yeah, they get stable and they get families, or, or sometimes they don't do as well, you know. Are you going to get a family? Not soon. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. At some point. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, now that, y- you know, after you put out a couple projects, you're not the new kid on the block anymore, mm-hmm. and... S- you know, j- with with things like South By, or, or, like, just with, like, blogs in general, like, it's... uh after you get to a certain point in an independent career, like you're not going to get those looks anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, Oh, yo, Saul put out a song and like Fader wants to post about it or something. Not, I'm not, I'm just saying your name because you're sitting here, but maybe you did get Fader looks. I don't know. But my point is, (laughs) my point is, is like, you know, when you're like this new exciting artist on the block, you get these looks like, Oh shit, look at this new kid. Like, and then all of a sudden everybody wants to post about you. But then after, if you don't become, that Macklemore, you don't become that, you know, whomever is the, the big artist that, uh, the Fetty Wap or whatever. Yeah. Like you don't get those looks on your second, third, fourth album mm-hmm. and, and it becomes like a regular job kind of, right? If you're, if you're not careful. Right. For sure. It felt like that for a second. Like after my last project, last time I was here, I pushed that project and I was touring and yeah, it was, it was you you feel like you have to fulfill a certain quota with mm-hmm. all the work that you're doing. And if you're not careful, then, you know, you, you start doing the wrong, more of the the stuff that keeps the gears turning but doesn't keep your gears turning. Like what? I mean, just spending more time in your email than your rhyme book, mm-hmm. even. When at the end of the day, like, what really keeps it going is the art. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I, I had to get back to was like, okay, my priority is making this music and making the music that I need to make. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like a, a shift when I was able to like take it from like, okay, whoa, for a second, that was feeling like a job. Mm-hmm. And in which case, I could do a lot of other things and make a lot more money. So why would I do that? To switching back to me, like, yo, I'm going to do this for the reasons that I love doing it. And that's just like writing in the way that I started, which is just like, yo, I need to write what I'm feeling and what I need to say, mm-hmm. you know, in just a personal way. Right. And then people connect to it. 
And then that's what that's what really keeps it going, keeps it spreading. I feel like I'm getting a lot of new fans right now. Right. Because I, I, I tapped back into that, which is the initial key to my success. You know, don't you and, find that interesting, though? Like, as you go along, like, you continue to get more popping, uh, but it starts to feel like, in, in a sense, and maybe I'm wrong, but it starts to feel like... Uh, sometimes you're the only one that realizes you're popping. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. but that, that It's like, damn, how come I'm getting bigger and I'm, and like the press isn't paying attention or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really at the end of the day, the music leads the way. And yeah. then like your fans are going to be the first ones. And then like when you, when you get a chance to make these statements, mm-hmm. like I'm about to sell out in Seattle, there's still a very short list of people who could sell out in Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm doing a national tour. Like when you put yourself out there and you get those W's, like th- that becomes a rallying. It's like we're on a polit- like a campaign trail right now. Right. You know what I mean? So you go out there and you get those W's state by state, you know, and then like at a certain point it becomes like people can't deny it, you know, but at the end of the day I don't do it to have somebody like watching you know, I do it just so that I can keep doing it, and it needs to be successful in order for me to keep doing it. Right. Um, what states have what what cities have been surprisingly successful? Man, uh, we just started, so we just did the Northwest, and that's no surprise. The Northwest was super popular. Right. So you guys did what? Seattle, Portland. Well, we finished in Seattle. Okay. So we did Vancouver, Bellingham, and Portland. Yeah. And then we just did Santa Cruz and Oakland, and Oakland was super dope. We did the new parish. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, man, it's just, like, to be able to be on the road doing my show and connecting with my fans is, like, a super beautiful thing. Who are all the people in the van with you? <laughs> yeah. I've Shout pa- them out. Yeah, okay. I packed the van out. So I was able to bring the band. So that's a really dope thing. Oh, so you're, like, you're playing a, with a live band on yeah, stage? Yeah. Okay. The past few tours, I was just able to bring a DJ. Yeah. And now I'm able to really just, like, not... That's the thing about doing a headlining run is just, like, making less compromises. Mm-hmm. Just, like, for, for the experience. So we have, like, lighting production that we put together. Um, I have my bassist and guitarist, Elon Wright. He produces all the tracks with my drummer, Nima Schemes. And so, like, Elon, like, programmed Ableton Light Show... We spent, like, a week in the studio. Like, it's just a very DIY, like, really sufficient team. Um, and then we have Jonathan, who's the tour manager and does the sound. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I brought my one of my best friends, Goonie, uh, who does, like, mer- all the merch. Mm-hmm. And then I, have, I brought main support and first of three. And that's Brothers from Another and Otiano Terry. He's, a, he's the singer. He's on, like, four tracks on the album. Okay. Yeah. So it's like really just an opportunity. My business model is I want to do dope shit with my friends. So we packed up a spinner and we're we're playing shows. And it's like a traveling show. Because I want to deal with local openers in every city. Yeah, Like that shit is a dice roll. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that I used to get so pissed when artists that I liked would come to the city I was in and they weren't accepting opening acts. I was like, those guys are dicks because there's good <laughs> local openers here. Yeah. But then after like actually going on the road, it's like, oh my God, having a local opener is like the worst idea because I mean, in like 90% of the cities, it's so bad. But I mean, it's no, just me I mean, shit. It's not even just the music. It's like the music can be good. Yeah. And actually, so for certain cities, like I have a full show. Right. But there'll be certain cities where it'll make sense to bring somebody on. Right. And I like 
like doing my research and looking at what's out there. Yeah. But yeah, a lot, a lot of these venues you gotta share a green room. People might go over. The thing is that if my if my little homie goes over on his time, I could be like, yo, yeah, you you went over on your time, and then tomorrow Catch like this fade, yeah, <laughs> tomorrow you ain't gonna do that again. Yeah, right. You know, but like we could build together. And and I'm in a position to put these guys on a pedestal, and and they're really dope, and I believe in them. So it's like, I I get to like feed off of that energy. Like they have, I'm I'm getting something. I'm learning from them, and just like, it's a mutual like, it's mutual benefit to like building together. Right, and it just feels good to be kind of in control of all that. stuff. you know, it feels yeah. good to be the, the the trickle up. What's your like regular day to day like now? You got a day job? No. You just live off music. Yeah. Where are you making most of your money off of royalties or like? Because the touring is what once, twice a year. Yeah, three times a year. Yeah, three, oh, yeah, three yeah, times. The goal. The when goal. was the last time I saw you? Two years ago. Okay, so was it fourteen or thirteen? In two thousand fifteen, I toured twice, I guess. Okay. And this year, I plan to tour as much as possible. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I guess about twice a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, iTunes yeah. shows. Right. I mean, like a big Seattle show, it, you know, it can be the anchor for a tour. Merch. Well, I right, mean, right. merch is more important than ever. Do you ship all your own merch out? Goonie does. Oh, Goonie does. Yeah. You guys are roommates or what? No, he's just like my, one of my most loyal, yeah. most amazing homies, man. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you do on the daily then? Okay. I meditate every day. Really? I meditate every day. I spend uh, too much time on my email. How long do you meditate? I meditate meditate at least once a day for 20 minutes. What kind of meditation? Like transcendental? Mindful meditation. What's that about? That's just about like awareness and just being like in touch with your feelings and with what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world with compassion. So like being okay with like, hey, yo, I'm stressed right now. Or I'm I'm feeling this type of way towards this person, um, and you can kind of become aware of that and be mindful of it. And well, almost, like, what's the location? Like, where do you do this in your bedroom, or do you just wake up and do it wherever? Just wherever you can, wherever and, you can get comfortable. Like, you, I just meditate on the van on the way here. And so, do you you just sit in a regular position? You don't yeah. have to be in any like particular yoga pose or no. Some you shit? should be comfortable. The yoga pose would probably be uncomfortable, man. Word. <laughs> I feel most comfortable in a downward dog, bro. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> uh, so you just, and so what? You just kind of like turn, do you turn your brain off or do you no, turn it so on to a more sensitive area? That's one of the things about my mindful meditation that is good for me. It has helped me ease into it because I got, I grew up with ADD. My mind is just crazy. It's like a highway, yeah. you know, and trying to slow that down or trying to make it completely stop is not really realistic. It's going to be a process for me, you know, but to start just being able to like like turn off my phone and even try and just be able to like almost focus on being aware of these things that are in my mind when i try to slow it down i might not get a blank slate like clean emptiness but i'll at least be able to identify the things that keep popping up and what you realize is that stuff is like static throughout the day, just in the background. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what happens to you on a daily, you have this static in the background that might be some relationship or some sort of anxiety that you have or sadness that you have or something. And it's just going to, it's always there in the background. And when you become aware of that, then you can be like, okay, what am I going to do about that? Mm-hmm. For me, it's like a way of being proactive about issues that are going on with me. 
And so part of it is problem solving internally then? Like when yeah, you say you can figure out what you're going to do the with fact, it. Okay. I mean, I, really the goal while I'm meditating is just to find as much to, calm to, as possible. Yeah. But when, but it helps me afterwards. Like there's a freshness of just like, yo, okay. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more self-aware right now. I'm not just so caught up right. in what's going on right in front of me that I can't realize what's going on inside of me. Or I'm not, uh, I wasn't able to avoid those feelings right then. I was, I was alone with them. So does it help you get rid of things like anxiety, depression, whatever? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, man. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Like it's changed my life. Nice. How long ago did you start that? Uh, about three years ago. Did you read a book or something? Like how you figure no, this so out? So I got back from the bondment. Remember we talked about when I was traveling abroad. Right, right. So uh, for the people who don't know, go listen to the last episode. You <laughs> yeah. can find it. You know, I'm just kidding. There you go. <laughs> no, yeah. Kind of neat. Plug. <laughs> no, so Man, when you, you got can, back, you can do you, the hyperlink right there. Yeah, you were you you went on like what a six or eight month journey or something? Ten months. That's right. I left 10 the months. country for ten months. Yeah. It was after my album Yours Truly came out. Right, because you got a grant or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, I got something from the school I was going to that mm-hmm. paid for me to travel abroad. That's right. And I left the country, and when I came back, I, my mind was completely like in a roller coaster. Yeah. Just a blender. And I didn't know how to process what I had just experienced. And I, at the same time, one of the things I realized when I was traveling was how important family is. And so when I came back to the United States, I, I was trying to spend more time with my family. My mom... One of her sisters, my mom's from Haiti, but she happens to have a sister that lives in Seattle. And I moved really close to her. I live like five blocks away from her now. And uh, every Wednesday, I started going to this group meditation that she goes to at a local museum. And it's every Wednesday on people's lunch hour, they just gather and they meditate. And there's these two women from a local like hospital, yeah. like psychiatrists from the hospital that volunteer their time every week, one of them does this guided meditation for 30 minutes and so she's talking the whole time when you say uh, well, they, they pause they, they'll go silence for five ten minutes yeah. within it once they once people are situated and shit some of them are beginners every day there's somebody who's a beginner mm-hmm. yeah, but then there's people who've been going for years i've been going for years now yeah I, I miss a lot of them it's not like but i always try to make sure to do it on my own right Sometimes I just try to do yoga in my apartment. And I always end up falling asleep at the end because they have you do the, the like baby pose or whatever it's yeah. called, the child pose, and you just like lay back. Or no, it's the corpse pose. You know about the corpse pose? No, nah, man. Yoga's like the next thing I need to get hip on. Dog, yoga's pretty tight. I don't do, I'm not like a yoga expert by any means, but sometimes if I don't have time to like actually go to the gym and work out, I'll just throw on a yoga video so I feel like I did something. Mm-hmm. And then it always ends up taking me longer than I would have at the gym because I end up falling asleep for like 45 minutes at the end because is so fucking relaxing <laughs> um, yeah. meditation so do you read books on meditation too like have you have you delved farther into it than the meetings or not a little bit you got to get that russell simmons book doc on meditation i know i saw that yeah um there's a meditation podcast oh yeah i haven't listened to it <laughs> there's a meditation app called headspace i've heard about that which is coincidental with my album title uh-huh. the headspace traveler um, I should have like co-branded Plug. that. Yeah. No, they ain't paying I'm me, man. Kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they should be. <laughs> then after the meditation, yeah. you get into the emails. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. How much time do you spend on emails? A couple hours a day. A couple hours? Yeah. I feel like I'm not emailing them enough. I mean, I, f- I should email less. We could trade. But let me let me handle your emails. Just kick me a couple bucks every day. I'll fucking handle your emails. Yeah, That's people, what I need. It's funny. Like I, For some reason, I'm always busy. Uh, but I'm, but I, my, my inbox is like, 
I don't know, not that cracking. I, I get I get shit done in very few emails. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I just cut the bullshit. I, I'm not down with an email chain. I'm not down with like I, honestly I, I hate being CC on some shit I don't really need to read. Oh, see, yeah, that shit <laughs> like okay, you know the that like corporate environment email type shit where people are CCing you and all of a sudden you wake up and you have twenty emails or something or a hundred emails, but yeah, forty of them are CCs between other people. I've eliminated that from my life like that shit does not exist and if i feel like an artist is getting to that point where they're trying to include too many people i honestly just like fucking bow out because i'm like nah never mind you're not the type of person i want to talk to if this is what <laughs> this is gonna be you know yeah. what i mean i get these shits done in like three emails it's like yeah. yo you want to do this yes cool here's where we're going <laughs> like that's it i can't fuck with a bunch of emails yeah but yeah so you spend a few hours on emails a day well, you see, I like I don't have like a full like management team. Right. So I'm still like I'm lucky enough. I have really good help. Right. I have a really good team around me, but I still am in a position where like I am the captain of that ship on like all fronts. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not just the artist. So because of that, I have to be in tune with a lot of the details, mm-hmm. and that just requires like time. Like so, it still takes time out of my day. Right. You know. What would it take for you to give up that, or to find that trust mm. to give up the reins? That that they could, that they could just go. That they could hey, do man, it better than me. Don't do any emails. I got you. That they could do it better than me. But are you the type of person that will ever think anybody can do something <laughs> better than you? Probably not. Because I'm man. definitely not that person. That's why I was. I'm never able to find a manager. But in reality, never... most of them could probably do it better than me. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but it's just like. That's the thing is, like, people are speaking on your behalf. And on top of that, it's not just you. It's your art. Right. But that's the crazy thing about it. It's like, this is our livelihood. So for me, whether you're, like, my agent or my manager or even just, you know, somebody, like, that's speaking on my behalf in any regard, um, that's a big deal, you know? And oh, I agree 100%. You're preaching in the choir, but I'm trying to get to the root of, like, why the fuck are we like that? Because <laughs> really what most people would say is that that's just some control freak shit. Yeah. And I, I'm fully a control freak. I've never hired an intern for this because I feel like if I hire an intern, they'll fuck something up. Mm. Like, they're going to send some straight email. I'll be like, what are, what are you doing? What did you do? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, like, no, I can't teach you to do what I do in Photoshop. Like, so, no, you can't intern for me. Like, no, I, you know what I mean? So... so for me, I I love I love to be able to share knowledge and also learn. So I do like I love having like little homies around and people who are hungry because I feed off of that energy. You know what I'm saying? But so I feel like at some point I will be in a position where I would love to have like a lot of not even interns, but just have a studio like this. And be able to mentor other artists and stuff. So, like, but that's a totally different type of situation. I don't know why, but I just pictured all the munchkins from fucking Wizard of Oz <laughs> while you were saying that, like, dancing around the studio. Like, yeah, yeah. No, my little homies, the lollipop kids. Okay, sorry. I have you a know, vivid, but, vivid imagination. Yeah, so, but yeah, those people, the little homies speak on your behalf. That's one thing. But when it comes to, like, management, right. what I think I would need and what I want and what I'm looking for is somebody who has access that I don't have that can make things happen quicker than I can. Yeah. You know, um, right now, in most situations, if I'm trying to make something happen, 
went one phone call from me or a text to like any favor I need to call or whatever, it just ends up happening faster. It's like more effective. Yeah. Right. It's like less bureaucratic. I've, I've found that too, that I, what's the point of, for my personal situation, it's never been, um, like I need to hire a manager cause I've never found a manager that d- has more knowledge, insight or access than I do for what I do. You know what I mean? Like, Hey man, it's, it it would take more time for me to be like, Hey, you know what? I really want to get Saul on the podcast. Can you hit him up? It's like, then he has to go research all the shit or I have to text him your number. or I have to text him your email where I could just be like, I'm already done. That's it. We're already done. We just texted. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm, I, I 100% feel you on that. But with that said, yeah, because we are, each person has like their strengths and their weaknesses. And especially because we're artists Mm -hmm. for me, the best place for me to spend my time is making the art. That's the only thing that nobody else can do for me. So, like, I do really... The system that, I've, that I'm building and the team that I'm building is to empower myself to be able to make the art as much as possible and but then have everything else be an extension of that, of who I am. So, because I work with all my homies, like Jake... And, like, I talk about Goonie. Like, this is my friend since third grade. And, like, the guys in my band are also my producers. And it's, like, those people are such a close part of my life. It's not just some business shit. Mm-hmm. You know, so that way, that I think for me, that's the best way of somebody, like, representing your vision is, like, to be a part of that. And the reason why you're working together is because you have a collective, like, mountain that you're pointing towards. And you work together as long as it makes sense that you're both going towards, like, your own goal. We have a common goal. Yeah, I mean, do you so, ever get scared uh, that doing business with friends is eventually going to blow up in your like blow up in a bad way? It still hasn't for me. Do you ever fear it to this day? No, I've been going through it. I'm like losing all my friends because of music shit. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if it's me or them. I always try to tell myself that it's these cause... are friends that you've worked with through in, in music. Yeah. Who are pre-existing friends before music. No, nah, they're people that I've met and became close with through music, and then business shit makes it always go sour. So I've never lost a friend uh, from before music because of music, but I've definitely lost tons and tons of like music friends over yeah. the years. Oh, man. Do you know so what I'm many, saying? It's so, so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I was like uh, asking about the don't you miss uh, how, how it was before everybody yeah. became adults in the music scene because I, what I've been kind of dwelling on lately is um, how good it used to feel when all my like friends that we all felt like we were on the come up together, that innocence, you know what I mean? And then and then as soon as anybody starts actually eating from the shit, like every everything fucking falls apart with it. And all those people that used to be these close friends... You know, once, one, like you said, once everybody has their team yeah. and, become, and becomes their own little ecosystem, all of a sudden those ecosystems don't fucking, yeah. they don't balance anymore. They don't, they don't want to click together anymore. Yeah. So it's very strange. No, I, I know what you're talking about. Man. Yeah. You asked me the question about how things have changed. Yeah. And yeah. I would say that I think that's, I think that naturally happens with time though. Right. Totally. I just hijacked the combo. Um, no, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a combo. Yeah. Uh, and so then what? After emails, what do you do? Man, I try to stay healthy. Right now I'm sick. You know what I mean? Like, I, I try to eat. And it's important. Like, I got to think about eating because the way that I work sometimes, I'll just skip meals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I eat and then I go to the studio. If I'm working on a project, um, when I get through the first part of my day, I get to the studio, like, shortly after noon. Where do you guys work out of? So my producers and I rent a spot 
in the middle of nowhere, like in Seattle. It's like a food. Uh, luckily, there's one taco spot, but besides, that, it's like a desert from from distractions. Uh-huh. It's just a random part of Seattle, super industrial area, um, or not even industrial. Just like motels and prostitutes and. Like, oh, uh, now it'd be distracting for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, why did I say industrial? It's just very like work, like working class area. It's next to a sheet metal place. Okay, you know, and um, yeah, we just do all our songwriting and production there. And then I, I do who my, did the build out on the studio? Uh, it's funny actually. It used to be Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's studio, uh, and that's where they recorded the heist. And after that, they like built a whole new complex. Yeah, like, you're like well, after, after they got rich, <laughs> yeah. they, they they built a whole new. They like, built a castle that's a studio. Couple uh, of them, you yeah, know? yeah. And um, the spot was just available. Right, and it really does have a like a really kind of magical vibe. And so it was already it, the build was already there, and you guys just had to come plug the, in. Basically, the booth was there. Yeah. Um, and Neiman and Elon took the spot over, and I've been building it up for a few years. Yeah. And I'm just like. I would consider myself like the resident artist. Like they have other clients that work there for hourly, but like I show up random hours of the day and night and just work, right? You know, for a long. So hour. you go to the studio every day when I when working on the album. These last like three or four months before the album was done, I completely immersed myself in the studio. Right. So the, it was intense. So the actual so Headspace Traveler. How long did it take to record? It took me two years to get through the whole process, but when I really st- dove into it and tapped into it it only took about three or four months so what are you doing for the other you know lost in my mind man yeah it was a process just getting into this this past few years hasn't been easy right well why not what has happened i mean just from an artistic standpoint i was in a writer's block yeah just to start off oh hey you don't say i'm going through that so (laughs) what do you do so what were you doing in your writer's block i was writing but it wasn't any good i got at least 100 songs a hundred? Yeah. Wow. It's funny because I just dropped a bundle before this album. I, I dropped a bundle of 99 songs on BitTorrent. And it was all songs from previous parts of my catalog. But it was a play on the idea, which was the true case, that we made at least 100 records in the process of making this you album. You dropped a bundle of 99 songs? Yeah, for free. And you don't think any of them are good? Or how many of them are no, good? No, no, no. Okay. This was like... It was a concept behind it because yeah. I have a single called 100 Songs, which I'm going to do for yeah, the Yeah, I, I saw that, the email. And... um. I dropped it leading up to that song and then leading up to the album release. I re-released a, my entire catalog for free oh, okay. in a BitTorrent, and I included demos and like random features and things from throughout my career. Uh-huh. But aside from that, these past few years, I definitely wrote at least a hundred songs with the material, just banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out what I wanted to say next. Uh-huh. And it, you know that was the problem. I was going into it with some idea of like trying to figure out what I what I was going to say or what I was going to do instead of just doing it. What I've been um, kind of trying to tackle with people um, who are into their careers, you know what I mean? Who, who aren't new artists, quote unquote, like you've established yourself, like people who know, people know who Saul is and they know, mm-hmm. they think they know what to expect from Saul. And I feel like that can be like a double edged sword, right? Like it's like, you've created this singular voice for yourself or you've created this voice for yourself. That's so um, clear and concise. And like, this is me as a human being. But then at the same time, as you get older and your tastes change, all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, is 
this me as a human being? Or like, can I, can I pivot a little bit or am I going to lose the people that I already have mm. while I'm trying to like, uh, while I'm still trying to grow as an artist and hopefully discover a new fan base? Will the old fan base jive with that? Do you feel that? Do you feel like you ever painted yourself? A, not, I don't want to say painted yourself into a corner, but do you hear those footsteps of like, can I do this or is this me? You know what I mean? I I think for a while I've been in touch with the fact that we do evolve and change as people and artists, mm-hmm. and I've and I'm embracing that um, on a human level, on a personal level. Musically, though, yeah, it's in general when you. I think one of the 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 curses is actually like when you experience some degree of success doing one thing. How do you avoid just going back to that? Like once you found water in that well. But counterpoint, if you have that thought and go, oh, do I just play it safe and do this because it's easy? But you also oh, maybe tapped into something you need to push on that. Right. But the other thing, the other mistake that I see a lot of people making is going like, well, I, I found my success doing this, but I don't want people to think I only do this. So I'm going to do this fucking totally left field no, thing. I, that doesn't happen for me. That, right. But haven't you seen that though? You've yeah. seen that where people go like they, they overcompensate too much and go like, Oh man, people think I'm a backpack rapper. I'm going to make a trap album. You yeah. feel me? Yeah. And, and then it's like, or it's like, Oh man, I have this fucking huge success, but it's just not getting to that next level. And I want it to go to that next level. So I'm going to like really try to shoot for the pop angle. And then, and then you don't realize that you could just have this great fucking career. If you just like loved what you were, or if you just stuck with what you're great at. Exactly. You know? So that's, that's the process that I went through. Yeah. You know? And so I was trying and, and I don't regret. And it's part of it's what we need to experience as artists. Yeah. We have long careers and we don't always, have it figured out so i i I had a period that's a funny thing that you're saying like we're we're artists right like and that's the whole that's the whole thing is that music is timely right music sounds different now than it did 10 years ago it sounds different you know 20 years ago than it did 10 years ago mm-hmm. we're gonna we're, we're stuck being creatives until we fucking die and right. that's you know we've got maybe a good, knock on wood a good 60 years left exactly so it's like you know what i mean like so yeah. embrace that journey right and you know the, you're not always going to be in the same medium right even if you are in the same medium you might not always be in the same genre you might always have the, you might not always have the same role you know so for me within hip-hop like I am evolving and growing and it's there are growing pains with that. And so for me to have a period where I was banging my head against the wall meant that I was pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And I, that was an important part of the process. And so I I don't have any I'm glad to have gone through the experience that I just went through. I you know, feel really good. An interesting similar analogy that I've heard is um any kind of like action sports athlete, whether you're a skateboarder, a snowboarder, what surfer, whatever, like, um, you get good at it. You get good at it if you're a natural, right? You get good at it pretty quick. You can do stuff. You know what I mean? You're like you can get stuff done. But if you want to go to that next level, where it's like, okay, now I'm not just like, like if you're a snowboarder, I'm not just like hitting a five off this fucking off of this. I want to like, I want to invert and I want to corkscrew or whatever. Like, you're gonna eat shit a lot for a while like all of a sudden you know like you've been good for a while but then when you try to take it to the next level you you bail constantly you're you right. look like you're a beginner again you're fucking you're eating shit so frequently and then all of a sudden when it clicks 
all of a sudden you're next level and you got these tricks that you never knew before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's probably kind of what you were going through is where you were and trying to do more shit or trying to take it to that next level, but you're failing, but you learn from the failures. And what it's about is how do you handle that? Right. Because when you're already good at something and you're trying to, I don't want to just be good. I made a hundred songs. They're all good. I've been doing this long enough and I, I'm not a cocky dude. I, you know, I don't make bad any bad music. Any music is technically bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everything I do is good, but I'm I'm trying to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not just in some Kanye way, but just like as an artist, you should be trying to be great. Do like the greatest that you can. It's a self competition, right, right? Exactly. And so when I know and I do something and it's good, but it's not good enough or it's not great. That frustration, or even, yeah, maybe you do fuck up. Maybe, let's say it's not good. Like you said, you're trying to do these new moves, and you're falling on your face. If you can't handle being a novice at one thing at you know, at a later point in your career, um, then you're not going to have a long career. Because, like I said, these are like stepping stones, and it's a long journey. You know, it's like I, I got a lot of that from my dad. He's, he's over 70. I got older parents, and he's a lifelong student. And I've watched him. He was in school for, he's still in school, basically. He's still just like a lifelong academic. Yeah. You know, and for me, I learned from that. And I feel lucky because I'm actually like in a role where I took it out of the classroom. But I continue to be a student, a student of the game. That's the only time I'll talk about it, like the game. But, you know, it's like we have opportunities to continue to learn and learn and learn forever. Right. And so for me... You know, I'm 27. I could, you know, I'm taking, I'm learning a little bit of piano. Ten years from now, I might have 10,000 hours on a piano. You know, there's no reason why I can't learn a new language right now. Right. Or, you know, uh, develop more from a vocal standpoint. So, but when you get older, you get more comfortable. You you get less comfortable fucking up. You embarrass easier. Right. When you're a kid, you're not worried about, like, looking stupid. Right, because now you have an established repu- established reputation that yeah. you need to take care of. It's just like in grade school, we used to, I used to fight a lot as a kid, but it's the worst that would ever happen. It's like a busted lip or like a you know a black eye, and I don't fight anymore. One, because everybody got bigger and I'm skinny, <laughs> but two, it's like more serious now. You know, like you you know oh, somebody yeah, you might get, pull out a gun. Or, yeah, or even you, you, know? you get knocked down, kicked in the face, all of a sudden you right. have brain damage. Or something yeah. Like. And, it shows, up, shows up on YouTube or whatever. World star. You know? Yeah. So people become more self-conscious. That was a big thing for me with this project was just being super comfortable with just being like, you know what? Like, I don't... It doesn't really matter what anybody thinks except for me and how I feel. Yeah. And it sounds selfish, but as an artist, you have to be able to be at that point because there will always be... And I don't really deal with very many haters, so it's, but there will always be people who are doubters. Yeah. You know? As it moves forward and progresses, something that I've noticed with like touring artists in general is that they always kind of want it to keep getting bigger. You know what I mean? Like each tour should represent kind of a milestone and and build upon the next one. Mm -hmm. Right. So the next one, you know. This time you have light uh, light show. Next time maybe you'll have fucking I don't know backup dancers or something. I'm just saying, in ge- like uh, it grows a little bit and the team gets bigger every time. Mm-hmm. So what happens? Um, if you ever were to hit that point where you're trying to make it grow, but you realize it's kind of leveled out or you're trying to play bigger venues and they're not filling, like what, how will you react to that? What will you do? Um, 
Is that a is that a t- is that an unfair question? No, it's not unfair. I would say even like this tour is like the size of venues is the same as last tour. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but don't you think that's good that more. it's maintaining? Though? Yeah, you know for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's more. I'm stepping out further. Yeah, you know, like it's a national tour. Um, things don't happen overnight, right? And um, it's also like just simply not taking any there there are other growths that are made like the music has grown so reaching these people i think the music connects further now i think that i'm more in touch with the privilege and the the opportunity that i'm in right now and i'm connecting even more so with the people who are listening and so you you grow if you are willing and able to grow even if like a moment is like not necessarily a larger moment, I guess. Yeah. You might make more of it because you've learned. So that's where I feel. What are your long-term goals with the music as far as longevity goes? Are you in a mindset where like uh, maybe you're only one song away? You know what I mean? Do, <laughs> do you ever feel like that? Like, man, I feel like I fucking have a hit in me. I'm not going to lie. There were, there were points where I was like, I mean, I, there were points in my life where I was like, oh, maybe I'm just one song away. You know what I mean? I think I have, I already have multiple hits like that. Like this album has a couple of hits on it. Yeah. Like a couple songs that could be like big songs. Right. But, but we all know that like, that's not really how, how the game no, works. Exactly. Yeah. No, so I already feel capable of like, and I know that the music, when people hear it, yeah. it connects. Right. So it's just about people hearing it, maybe more people hearing it. So like you have some sort of snowball effect, or yeah, let's say there's some sort of big well, amount the, of money the behind it, the machine get behind getting behind it. it yeah. You know, well, but so that's my to question. Me, the I guess one song away thing. Yeah. Also, the the thing beyond any of what we just said is just timing and luck, and you're not Absolutely. in control of that, and you know that's like eighty percent of this. Absolutely. Eighty five percent of this. So I guess part of my question was, would you be willing to put the machine behind you if it came to that? Yeah, if it was the yeah. right if it was the right machine, right? You know what I mean. You know, record labels are just like a group of people. Yeah, and that's the danger is you get an A and R who you love, who you know helps sign you, and then they leave. Then it's like You're a stranded. member of the family left or something. Right. So, for me, I just haven't connected with the right group of people. But I also maybe wasn't in the right headspace or the right moment to to want that for myself. And right now, all I want is to be able to make the music that I need to make and reach people as many people around the world as possible. Uh-huh. So if somebody's going to help me empower, empower the music to do that, you know, I'm not against it. But I, that comes with a cost, and I have to, have to be able to weigh, that, weigh the cost and decide that it was worth it. And, yeah. you, know, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Yeah. It hasn't yet. And, I, and I'm good. I'm going to keep building I got my own company. I got two companies. You know, right. like, I'll build it. That's the first thing I learned. I've been doing this since I was a little kid. First thing I learned is you don't wait for anybody to do anything for you. Totally. So until something, like, every every single thing that comes my way, I assess if it's right for me or not. And beyond that, all I can do is put my own message in a bottle and just, like, keep sending these bottles out to the universe and just keep working and not waiting for anybody. Right. That's a good headspace. That's tight. 
Sorry, I'm trying to. Get, I'm giving you the tough questions today. No, I mean it's these are the questions of life. Yeah, that's these the, are questions yeah. that like you have to think about as an artist. Well, when the I questions get, I face every day. That's what I'm saying. When I get somebody that like you or that I've known for a while and for all intents and purposes, uh, the music we make is not so far apart from each other. I start questioning you the way I question myself as right. far as like, well, what the fuck? What's the end game, man? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what's the end game? That's the real question because rap is a young man's sport and and you're still a young man uh, and you're f- f- much farther at 27 or much far, uh, than I ever was at 27, much farther at 27 than I am at 35 with the music shit. Uh, but that's the thing is that still eventually 27 turns into 40 real fucking fast and all of a sudden it's like, damn, what am I doing as a 40-year-old? Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think you did ask, like, what is the end game? Yeah. And so I don't really have a full answer to that because yeah. part of it is just it's more abstract than, like, one accolade or job description or title. Totally. You know, it's like, am I contributing to the world? That's that's it, pretty much. Yeah, mine's I, always, am I happy? Yeah, yeah. I I feel happy when I'm contributing to the world. I there realize, like my inner happy, like I can be, I can have the most amazing girlfriend, dope apartment, not have to worry about money. You know, I could be playing music, writing music, all these things, and I could still be unhappy. I've learned that if I don't feel like I'm contributing in the way that I'm meant to contribute, I do feel like I'm here for a reason. And if I'm not fulfilling that, if I'm not positively adding to the world then i don't feel happy Hmm. so i could be sitting in my apartment watching netflix smoke a joint just like comfort i can have comfort Mm -hmm. and i'm not happy Hmm. so for me that means i have there's a like a a certain a lot of sacrifice that goes with feeling that way Mm -hmm. you end up sacrificing a lot of comforts and a lot of relationships because you you have this idea, and maybe it's narcissistic, but it's an idea that, hey, I need to be, I, I have a life of service. Mm-hmm. I, I have to share my share myself with the world. And so other people in your life have to give up a certain amount of you because you're going to give yourself to something else. And for me, that's music. Like, I've poured myself into music. You know, so, like, you ask, like, what I do, if I'm in the studio all day, like, yeah, I've, in order to make this album, like, I, I had to, completely pour myself into it mm-hmm. 100% mm-hmm. to the point where like uh, like life essentials were getting sacrificed like meals and sleep and do you write at the studio too or do you write but I feel like I have to be alone when I write um, I'm really comfortable around the guys that I, that I make the songs with the yeah. producers I work with so I, I definitely write with them we even bounce ideas off of each other but for this project yeah most of the writing happened in the studio or I actually like left Seattle and like left my phone behind and went to a cabin at one point and did a crazy amount of meditating oh. and writing. Where was the cabin? It's in San Juan Islands, one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's in Washington. Yeah. And I just, that's the turning point for the project. I was still banging my head against the wall. You left your phone? Yeah. That's f- terrifying. I have an anxiety. I have anxiety just thinking about that. Yeah. That's a good move though. I like that. I mean, like I, like I was telling you off air, like, I have this love-hate relationship with my phone. And mm-hmm. I think it started when I was traveling abroad because I didn't have a smartphone for like a year. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling in parts of the world where people don't have that type of access to technology. Or they just got dumb phones. No, or no phone. I mean, actually, people be having phones, man. Yeah. Like, I went to some, some of the poorest countries in the world. 
like a lot of fools be having phones. The the cell phone companies just yeah. set it up so it's all prepaid. So you're paying like per minute. You're like I was in some of the poorest countries in the world. And they're like, damn fool, you got a Samsung? Look at my iPhone, you broke motherfucker. No, yeah. no, not even though <laughs> the the one that I had was the Nokia, like the old school Nokia. It had the flashlight and Nokia. snake. Flip phone Nokia. <laughs> you ever heard that song? It's great. Uh, <laughs> Dude, snake on the old Nokia. Addictive, I'm sure. I, I enjoyed having that phone for a year more than I have enjoyed my iPhone right now. That's funny. Yeah. Um, that seems like a great experience going off to the cabin. Yeah, it was dope. I didn't even write that much in the first cabin, but I got in the right headspace, no pun intended. And then straight from that cabin, I went to another cabin in the mountains with Nima and Elon, my producers, and that's where we wrote the title track to the album. I came up with the title of the album, The Headspace Traveler. I wrote the intro, Peace of Mind, and just completely was able to tap into what I needed to in order to make the album. It really sounds like the like the plot of Rocky Four or something. You're <laughs> it like, was very Rocky yes. <laughs> yeah. We would go down by I would go on I these walks. I was running walks. up the mountain in the snow. You I know? would go on these walks yeah. and these runs and Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, just getting back. Come on, Saul, you got this. No, because really you asked me about my daily life. Yeah. And my daily life usually right now is very distracting away from what I need to do in order to be able to make art. Oh, absolutely. There's so many daily distractions. I feel like every artist could say that. Yeah. So in order to work the way, and I think once things become kind of popping, like, you know, because I, I'm running, a, you know, a big, like, not a, I'm running a small business. And, you know, there's a big operation. There's a lot going on. So I could easily fill my days just like making merch orders and, and you know, fulfilling some sort of, quota with this or that and just even just keeping up on emails and stuff and i haven't even written a single lyric right so in order to be an artist i have to be able to switch out of that mode because that's two different sides of my brain yeah and so to be able to get out in the cabin like that was a very extreme way of me tapping into that that's interesting i always talk about the business side and the art side of the brain and how it's a constant conflict uh between each other mm -hmm. as a rapper of trying to like balance that yeah yeah so that's cool that you found a way to go only yeah. tap into one side and i'm and trying to, to do more of it man like i really that's i started you, fantasizing that's manager bro yeah either that or i just become like the anthony bourdain of hip-hop and just like get out there all the time and yeah. make the work the content because right. again content is king if the music is better for it then you know what i don't need to reply to half of those emails yeah you know what i mean I don't need to give so much of myself to these other things because it'll be those things are just like those gears would be more greased and they'll turn easier. You know what's funny uh, as far as the content is king thing? I've been hearing that for so long now. I mean, you're talking to the dude that pumps out content constantly as yeah. far as with this stuff or whatever. And I've been hearing it for so long now, I'm noticing there's other business models springing up where, like, rarity can be king, too, and creating less content that well, goes okay. farther. You right. know what I mean? Like, So content is king, and a very hip-hop mistake with that is amount of content. Right. But for me, it's quality. Right. That's why... Because well, I think content even, is king, and I think like not only the music, but then I think about like oh vlogs and music videos, yeah. and I'm gonna do this uh, contest with my fans or whatever, like you know, low effort, high return on investment content type of shit like that. And I actually think now there's a big benefit in just being fucking rare, you know, and mm -hmm. like oh yeah, this guy never shows his face, and so when I, when he does throw this one show, fucking five times as many people come. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thing. I pop up every two years and drop an album. There you go. You know? Like, I haven't done a headlining show in Seattle in two years. Yeah. And this show is sell- is going to sell out faster than the last two times I played Seattle. That's amazing. You know, and from a public standpoint, nothing's happened between now and then. Yeah. You know, but the appreciation is still there. Right. So I drop a new project and just I, the people wake up. Right. So in the scene that you came up with, and we kind of touched on it earlier uh, already, uh, but in the scene that you came up with, there's a small, tight-knit scene in Seattle, right? And you guys watched one of your peers, one of your friends, become arguably the most talked about, the most, like, think-pieced person about in hip-hop or or in pop music in general. And a lot of people considered it problematic um, that it got so big, you know what I mean? Uh, A lot of race stuff came into play with it, et cetera, et cetera. As someone that came up with him, what was it like watching that? Is it a surreal thing? Are you able to withhold judgment as you read things? Um, You know what I mean? First and foremost, I'm super, like I'm a fan mm-hmm. of the homie doing well. Right. And I'm always somebody who's always believed that there's no finite amount of success. So in our scene, one of the first things that happened when he started to pop off, not even at the thrift shop level, but just like, you know, three nights at the show box, all these things, was people started hating like in a jealous way. And for me, that never made sense. It was never productive energy. So that was not an issue. Watching his shit explode on a global level, it was funny. I was actually abroad when that happened. So I was like in South Africa in the club and they like played his shit. And I'm like, whoa. And then I was like in Colombia and they played his shit. And I'm like, whoa. You know, somebody was pulled up his video at a random house party. And when I was like, in the middle of nowhere in South America, you know? You open the flip phone, Nokia, you're like, look, this is us on the picture. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not even, dude. Yeah. And it's, it, was, it wasn't even like that. It was just like watching from afar at that right. point because I was so unplugged. Right. Like, I was out there. I was not even, you know, I was traveling. I was just right. traveling. So to be able to see that happen on a global level and watch, oh, he, everything he did was a milestone for Seattle hip-hop. Mac is on Conan. Mac's on SNL. He won a Grammy. Cover of the Rolling Stone. Cover of the Rolling Stone. It was just like, I felt like I was winning. It was was like a brotherly thing. It was just like to see that happen. And it's funny because maybe I got desensitized to it or something, but it just became a little more normal. Like, yo, this is, I guess it just wasn't a dream. Like, you know, he really took it there. And it's crazy because it's like a shooting star. So you can't plan on that type of success. So for me, it was always just like, damn, that, and for them, I think it was the same. Like, they had no idea that I was going to get that big. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I will also say is, knowing those guys personally, I don't know anybody. Privilege aside, work ethic, I don't know anybody. You know, access aside, all that stuff, they work harder than anybody I know. Mm-hmm. So it was not a coincidence to mm-hmm. me. Right. They they work so hard in their they've mastered their craft and they their attention to detail is you know so on point that they're mentors without even trying i watch them so closely because they they everything matters to them they care so much you know and that couldn't be to a fault like for me sometimes i care too much you know so but i think that they they just watching 
if there's something to learn, you can see the steps that they took to get to the point, and then it's like it's almost like in God's hand at that point, where it's just like the timing and everything was right for them. Now, at the same time, having uh, the microscope turned on and on them in such a way. Um, were you able to like did you keep up with what people are writing about them or do you avoid that stuff because i feel like there was so much negative writing about it and it eventually became meme like you know what i mean yeah i uh, don't even really read those things anyways yeah okay and so I mean, that, there's a few things that i read yeah sorry to cut you off you know like certain writers and stuff but most of the stuff i read is not like hip-hop journalism right I'm reading, like, I read books more and stuff. I don't read on the internet that much. I read so much on the internet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like, I'll read tweets, and if a tweet takes me to a link, I'll read right. it. But, yeah, I mean, so for me, I don't read a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I'll say the biggest thing, and, I, like, this is just my one thought beyond just if I'm going to dive deeper into that, you know? is what that experience was like for me, like their success, what that was like for me, was it shook my world to a certain degree where they got, they accomplished a lot of what I hoped to accomplish, and so I was able to kind of see what it's really like. It doesn't seem that tight. It's hard. Like, once you get there, it seems horrible. It's this never-ending ladder thing. Yeah. You know, a never-ending ladder. Yeah. So you have to find that fulfillment, that mountain, whatever your North Star is, has to be more than just more and more and more success, right. quote-unquote success. Right. You know, and so, you know, I think Ben Mack is really a very, uh, I think he's a heady dude, and so am I. You know, so are you. You know, like, so you're very, like, you think a lot about stuff. So he's very aware of that. Super, he's extra self-aware, it seems. Yeah, extra self-aware. And that's become a point that pe people pick on as well, is the fact that he's so self-aware, you know what I mean? Right, so, so anyways, he's yeah, aware so. He's aware of this, this latter thing, and I think if there's anybody who's, like, equipped to be able to, like, make it through this really, really intense experience. And it's funny, because as a culture, we don't have a lot of empathy for celebrity, and for success and fame and fortune. Um, but there are a lot of hard things that come with that. And so um, just because you have money, that doesn't necessarily make it, it makes life easier. It, money is like, I mean, it's capital. Like you, money gets you things. Yeah. But it doesn't get you happiness. And that's a cliche, but it's truly true. And so for me, being able to see what they've experienced and how they deal with it, in particular, Ben, um, it's just... It's been so eye-opening for me. And to be honest, it's kind of shaken. It kind of shook. It's like you have this picture that you have on a wall of like what you what you want. Mm -hmm. And then one day it, it like flickers mm -hmm. or something. And you kind of realize that it's not everything you thought it was. Right. Yeah, watching it from a distance that very similarly to you, like at a certain point, point in my life, I thought what they... Uh, went through is something that I wanted. I used to feel that way, like, oh man, that's what I want. And then I saw them going through it, and then knowing people from around their camp and talking and, and just hearing like the shit they were having to go through, I'm like, oh my god, like 
<laughs> like it, it's the the pitfalls of success you know what i mean it's like it, it can it, i'm sure it, there were a lot of there was a lot of dark shit that happened i'm sure just from like having to have so many people watching you you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. it seems almost like be careful what you wish for or something but that being said but it, you know those are good problems yeah those and, are real good problems and also as an artist like dealing with success is something that any great i mean at the end of the day I'd still choose that yeah, because I want to be great. And right. I, I want my my art, whether it's now or later, whenever it is, I every artist wants to be recognized. Yeah. So if you're recognized, even if there's a lot of bullshit that comes with that, right. that's just more fuel. If you, if you are healthy and you're, you're able to use it, it can be more fuel. Right. So, for example, for me, anything that I went through the past few years, I was able to finally be able to, like, use that and embrace it and say, hey, I, I'm going to write about this. And uh-huh. I think that's part of what he did with this album, too. I think it's a dope album. He wrote his way through it just like I did. And, like, that's what every artist needs to do. Yeah. It's like when anything happens to you, just make good art. You know, anything Well, see, so what you just said makes me ask the question. When you say, uh, I still want something like that to happen to me, or I would still choose that. While you're creating, do you keep, is that somewhere in the back of your head or do you turn that off? Because, because it goes back to my, because it goes back to my original question of like, artists never being satisfied and always trying to want something bigger. But I feel like when you turn off the once, that's when the good music comes out. Mm -hmm. When you turn off the, the, the wants and the desires and you just fucking turn on what you need to do. That's when the shit works better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, I try to, I try to leave. I try to just get to a headspace where I'm really just writing for the most pure reasons. Mm -hmm. So that's why I literally left my phone Mm -hmm. in another city or why I physically remove myself, you know, from a situation so that I can focus and just get alone with the artist in me, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, you have to do that. Word, you man. have to be able to separate those desires that you have from like a career standpoint to like what your artist goals are, which are really just to make good art. For like sure. You have to simplify it. Got to keep it simple, man. Yep. Uh, where can the people find you, Saul? Um, well, the album's out now. It's called The Headspace Traveler. Uh, you can find it on my website, SaulSays.com. Spotify? Spotify. iTunes. iTunes. I, I put it's a full stream on YouTube, yeah. SoundCloud. You distribute yourself? Yeah. TuneCore? TuneCore. Shout out TuneCore, fucking amazing website and tool for artists. I love TuneCore. Yeah. TuneCore, sponsor my podcast. Uh, yeah, the Headspace Traveler, look for it now. Saul, S O L, at yeah. Saul Says, right? Uh, at Saulzilla. Oh, Saulzilla, that's right. Yeah. Wait, Saul Says is your website. Saul Says is my website. My bad. At Saulzilla. Yeah, the lady who has Saulzilla won't sell it to me. Uh that bastard. Um, all right. Yeah, I think we did what we came to do, and I appreciate you coming through. You're just on a nightly – this is like an awkward fucking stop to make, but we squeezed it in, and I'm glad you guys did, and yeah. wish you safe travels on the uh, rest of your trip. When are you heading home finally? Uh, Mid-April. 
Okay, so you got a ways to go, man. Yep. You got a ways to go. Um, my name is Lee. As some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you can find me at It's Intuition. Follow my man, Ben Shim, behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery at I Am Database, space with two S's. And you can follow us on Twitter as a unit at Kinda Neat. Hit that fucking follow button. This is a call to action. We're almost at 2,000 followers on Twitter. We just, I just want like big round numbers. So hit that shit. Um, don't forget uh, that we started a Patreon account and it's starting to rack up a little bit. We're asking you to pledge per episode so that we could keep the show ad free and um, so that we can pay the bills around here. So go pledge like a dollar per episode. That's only $4 per month if we're on our hustle. And uh, that's a cup of coffee. That's a cup of coffee per month. Go do that shit. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Uh, just search for Kind of Neat on the podcast app. And subscribe. Leave a five-star rating. Tell us who you want to see on the show. Also, breaking news i'm going to start putting the podcast on youtube so you'll be able to hear this conversation with saul on youtube as well as well as his performance of 100 song 100 songs is that what it mm -hmm. is yeah um that being said i'm lee that's Saul. yep this was kind of neat mm -hmm.